Welcome to Armchair Preaching, a podcast of the First Presbyterian Church in Lakeland, Florida. This is a podcast about God's Word, the beauty of the gospel, and what it takes to communicate that truth to others. I'm your host, Pastor Zach McGowan, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Pastor Rebecca as we talk about change and the fear that's associated with it. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to Armchair Preaching. So glad that you're joining us today. Pastor Rebecca is back. Welcome, Pastor Rebecca. Thank you. Or just Rebecca. Good to be here. It's good to see you. Um, John's out this week. John Mm -hmm. was out last week, so uh, we get to hang out a little bit as we as you you kicked off the Fearless uh, series last week with Josh. Mm -hmm. You're continue. You continued this week and. Big topic this week about change. I think this is something that uh, well, everybody. You you mentioned it really well. I mentioned it briefly. Change is inevitable. Yes, right. It's the Heraclitus quote: "Nothing permanent except change." And I loved how you even broke down. Look, even if you try, even if you don't do anything. There's still change. You're going to change. That's right. You get older. Your fingernails grow. Absolutely. Heart keeps beating. One of the things I want to talk about is is the changes that we have faced. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned at the outset of my sermon some of the changes I faced as a kid, um, but didn't really talk about adulthood a whole lot. But I wonder if you talk about what's what's one of the biggest, most significant moments of change that you faced in your life? I've had a lot of geographical changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's the most significant or not, but uh, I was born and raised in western Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Pittsburgh, and then I moved to New York City. Uh, that wow. didn't feel very significant. That was like, okay, today I'm in New York, uh, yeah. no problem. But moving home back to Pennsylvania after New York uh, was an adjustment. Yeah. You know, how, I, how, how long were you in New York? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. And you were doing... so. I don't know if everyone knows what you were doing in New York City at the time. I was working in urban ministry. Um, We would train teams to go and work with churches and Christian organizations. So working with the homeless, soup kitchens, Mm -hmm. drug rehab, vacation Bible school, church block parties, whatever there might be a need. Mm -hmm. Um, We would train people for that ministry and then plug them in. And where in New York City was it? It was based out of Queens, but it served all five branches and sometimes places in New Jersey, but not often. So then you move back to Western Pennsylvania after two and a half years. That's correct. And so that was a big adjustment. That was a big adjustment because I have to get in a car to go somewhere every time I have to do that. Um, What is open at night? What restaurant can I go to at 11 at night? Oh, everything's closed, you know. (laughs) Going from urban to to not urban is different. Right. right? Going from rural to urban, no problem. Um, Yeah. But it was it was funny the the real culture shock was going back but it didn't last long but still it still was a shock though yeah. right and so how so were there specific things or was it just time that kind of made that change lessen or did you have to kind of did it shock you that going from the urban back to where place that you were familiar with but going it from it was a, just kind of like oh, i have to get in a car and go there yeah oh. Nothing's open at this time. And then I try to say to myself, did I really do that much in New York at 11 at night? Uh, 
but you know there was the three times I did do it and <laughs> just the idea yes. that you don't have that option I don't anymore. have that option yeah. yes yeah yeah it wasn't long lived but you know first two months was just like really mm-hmm. but that's all yeah and I, I I think mine was probably very similar um you know I I mentioned in my sermon that we moved uh, from Italy to Texas when I was in junior high school, and the junior high school experience was was rough uh, that that transition. But it was really the thing I didn't mention was the culture shock go- coming back to the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, when we moved from the United States to Italy, uh, and it really wasn't the Italian culture that was the shock. It was more. You know, we went from uh, Washington D.C. to Italy, but we really lived within. We lived on the economy for a while with Italian folks, but really, all all of our circle, for the most part, I mean, we had Italian friends and stuff, but they were military people, so everybody was military. Mm -hmm. Everybody's kids, they understood what it was like to move every couple of years. You know, Um, so coming. To Texas, it was a military move, but we didn't live on a military base with military families. You know, I went to junior high school mostly with kids that didn't weren't in the military. Uh, the the junior high school that I was in was larger than the entire base that I lived on in terms of population. Um, so that was a shock. I mean, and you'd think it would be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Just like in your case, you know, you mm-hmm. were used to Western Pennsylvania, right? Not used to New York City, but you adapted fairly quickly to New York City. But then mm-hmm. coming back and going. Wow, you know, and it's just interesting how those those sorts of culture changes right. are some of the most significant. Yes. And and you've done culture changes even to you know beyond the United States, moving right. to and you went to Southeast Asia after that moment. Is that right? Well after, yes. Well after, and, and I had a time after I went Western Pennsylvania, New York City, Western Pennsylvania, D.C. Well, at least Northern Virginia, and that was a shock too because it wasn't like New York. You couldn't just jump on a bus or a train yeah. or the subway. It was harder to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to get in your car for so many things, and that was frustrating too. Yeah. I was like, "This is a stupid city," <laughs> but it wasn't. All those people who love D.C. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's different. It's different. Yes. Yeah, Washington mm-hmm. D.C. very different. Very different than New York City. Um, still a city, but very different type of a city altogether. Yes. And in a whole different culture and a whole different vibe, which um, definitely changes things a lot. I think it's interesting because you've you've can you just come here uh, eight months ago, so you've made a, ch- a change relatively recently. Um, I have, you know, when I came here uh, eight nine years ago, almost nine years ago, mm-hmm. it was from an eleven year call in Haines City, same mm-hmm. county. So right. I reacted to this life my, as a kid of change mm-hmm. by saying I am not moving and i have been in polk county for 24 years because i just that's that's how that's how change adverse i oh wow i i i i don't like to move i don't like to change but you know that but like you said in your message no matter what how we think about change Mm -hmm. it does it does happen and there's absolutely no way around it. even if you do nothing even i mean covid the world shut down and we did nothing, and yet look how much change. And, and, you know, individuals cope with change at various levels, but you made a kind of a joke even at the beginning of your sermon that even churches cope with change at different <laughs> levels. You change? Go, yeah, the Presbyterian. <laughs> how, many, how many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? And the, the response is – actually, the, and you, know, you and I know there's probably like 17 different responses. Right. There's so many Presbyterians change a light bulb thing, you know, that the whole committee joke or whatever. Yes. But what's been your experience in terms of uh, how – how 
how you have helped churches navigate periods of change. I mean, you've been in various churches, Mm -hmm. various ministries. Churches are probably some of the toughest organizations Mm -hmm. to change. So what's been your experience with helping churches navigate change? Communication, communication, communication. Amen, you, yeah. you bring up the issue. You let people have their uh, immediate knee-jerk reactions. You listen to whatever concerns or um, just reactions to a fact that there is a change. And um, you process through that. Um, you just keep talking about it for a while. And then you eventually get to a committee meeting and <laughs> it, it becomes like, Okay, well, we're just now passing that along. I mean, it's old news. Yeah. Um, that's the best way I do it is just you, you just let it all be talked about and, you know, this change is coming. I mean, my last church in West Virginia, we were going to remove the back pew, yeah. which was a, a hot spot. You know, everybody wanted the back pew. Because <laughs> we're Presbyterians. We're Presbyterians, yeah. right. Um, it, we needed more room for wheelchairs to get yeah. past their walkers. And and so we just brought it up. We kept bringing it up saying, you know, nothing personal, you know, just to let you know. There's and, a new back row. Um, yes, uh, it's going to be different. And, and by the time it happened, it, it was as, it, you know, nothing changed yeah um everybody yeah. just moved forward one row so yeah yeah and tr- and as much as as much as i've not I, I, I don't like personally moving around and doing things i've had i've had to navigate lots of changes within churches mm-hmm. you know i've been uh in in interim pastor type roles here at fbc lakeland in my previous church in haines city um i was at in haines city when they launched the contemporary service which was a massive change mm-hmm. um and you're right the communication piece is really so important mm-hmm. laying the foundation here and then part the other side of the communication which you mentioned as well which i think a, some some church leaders ignore this side of communication which is the listening side mm-hmm. listening to why people have that knee-jerk reaction mm-hmm. the the it's always been that way so we're never going to change okay so what well, where does really that come from and helping right. them understand that and then also one of the things um you know we one of the big changes when i first got here was live streaming the vine service this is long before covid so covid did not instigate live streaming for us here at FPC. We've been doing doing it for a long time, but there was a that was a big change to begin live streaming the contemporary service. And part of the communication process was going back into the church's history and demonstrating how often the church had been at the forefront of of change, and mm-hmm. that this was this was part of our legacy to add new technological abilities to you know promote the gospel and things mm-hmm. like that. But the communication piece is really important. I think sometimes internally. We have to do that communication with ourselves when we're when we're facing down the change, mm-hmm. right? Certainly. And this Sunday we dealt with Herod, and you. Uh, so one of the things I want to talk about with you with this sort of message, when you're dealing with a historical figure, there's all this backstory, right? Oh, yes. And and we both had to dig into that. How did you approach the historical uh, kind of the backstory? To Herod, the Herods. There's so many Herods. Right. How did you approach that? What was your What was your mindset going into like kind of unpacking who those people were? Well, I knew that I wanted to to touch on Herod the Great. We were focusing on Herod Antipas, mm-hmm. um, so I thought I'm just going to talk about all the Herods because all of them had uh, this paranoia of mm-hmm. of change and um, disrupting anything with Rome and. Uh, 
and I had been to Jordan last year, the country of Jordan, and that is where John the Baptist was beheaded, and I got to go to that site and, and see the the ruins of how phenomenal these buildings were that yeah. the Herods were responsible for, and um, just I, I called it the halls of purpose and the halls of pleasure, yeah. because you know, it's all the halls of pleasure for Herod and Tippus. But yet that's where John the Baptist also was beheaded, mm-hmm. and he, it was a hall of purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And wanted to bring that in and, and the story of Herod Antipas, um, and his life there. So it just the idea of change um and herod the great i wanted to bring that in because of the East, the christmas story yeah. where herod and all jerusalem with him were were afraid they were afraid yeah right uh, and i thought that was a, a very it's overlooked verse yeah um but very powerful because mm-hmm. it's a christmas story and yeah. so people don't usually focus in on that but it's what goes on in our hearts mm-hmm. of okay jesus is here now what you yeah. know and we can be afraid of the change that jesus might bring but mm-hmm. um there's change everywhere on on every level. Well, and the fear of change was built into Herod Antipas's uh, family. I mean, yes. Herod the Great had this yes. great, this tremendous, and you you talk about the the, the violent reaction to Herod mm-hmm. the Great. Um, his fear. Yes, um, I mentioned it briefly, but I didn't go into oh he had sons killed and wives killed, <laughs> and all, which is which is definitely true and speaks to that fear too. And, yes. and where Herod uh, Antip- Antipas is is, is Really living into his heritage quite quite mm-hmm. a bit there. Do you find it challenging? I, I know for me, someone came up to me afterwards and talked about, "Oh, wow, it was you know you did such a good job of kind of doing that in a brief way." The, the the historical background. Do you find it challenging to bring those things into a message when you know you've got limited space, limited time, and you want to get to a direction? I, I like that part. Yeah. Um, I want to bring that part in. Sometimes I have to cut out some of the aspects that don't focus specifically on the whole purpose. Like Herod the Great, um, he actually went crazy. Yeah. Um, and it was really bad at the end of his life. And he also had scheduled to kill all these important people in the community when he died so that they would be crying on the day of his death. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, he went crazy, and there's all these documentations mm-hmm. about him going crazy, thinking he saw his, his wife that he had killed because it was his beloved wife that mm-hmm. he loved. And, and that was really the point of where he started going crazy. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring that in, and it, it, you can tie that in, and you can really make something of that because the fear of change and um, fear of God and mm-hmm. – anyway, but I, I have have to cut that. So yeah. I get excited to bring that in because it – brings to life the story and people are so used to some of these stories that it gets commonplace Mm -hmm. oh here's the story okay yeah i got it um they don't realize how deep that story really is and what 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 all is there in the background right especially with the paranoia and the the fear of of losing power you know something we, we both talked about the fear of the the change if if herod had really listened to John the Baptist mm-hmm. and and leaned into that because there's obviously something in their relationship right. where Herod was not willing to just kill John the Baptist, mm-hmm. but he wasn't willing to listen really listen to him either. Right. Um, I so, mean, if he had set him free, that would be the end of his ruling. That would be the end yeah. of you know his family's. Well, think about if uh, you think about if it actually divorced or, or gotten rid of uh, Herodias. Right. Uh, what, what would have it? What would it have said to the population 
that Herod was listening to a, a, a right. ca- kind of a wild-eyed prophet from the wilderness, <laughs> yes. which neither one of us really got into. Well, John the Baptist, people like were intrigued by John the Baptist, mm-hmm. but he was a little bit. I mean, he definitely he, was present, weird. <laughs> he definitely presented himself as kind of a weird guy, you yeah. know, with the with the eating of honey and locusts and living in the wilderness. But but people were drawn to him. But I also think that was a, a walking illustration that he is Elijah. Absolutely, uh, yeah, just yeah, exactly. But see, those yeah. are the types of things you have to leave right out because you only have so much time. It right. doesn't directly impact the 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 point or the focus and right. and I find it I do find it because I'm like you I kind of like I mean I'll go down every rabbit hole because mm-hmm. I think that as I mentioned in the sermon you know the soap opera esque nature of all of these different lives is so incredibly intriguing I'll go down every rabbit hole mm-hmm. and I'd want to bring all that to the table but then it, it you have to balance that so you don't distract from Right. Point. If it was a soap opera, then we could unpack all of that week after week yes. and have cliffhangers right. at the end of the week. And How great would that be? Yeah. <laughs> How great would that be? And and also too, the thing that gets really interesting, and I don't, I'm sure you you ran across this when you're doing your research, is just you know some of the debates uh, that go on amongst commentators. Okay, which Philip are we really talking about mm-hmm. here? You know, um, and 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 where did they meet? And how did they? How did Herodias and and Herod meet? And and what was the? You know, there's all these historical debates that you kind of want to bring out, but then you're like, okay, well, that right. doesn't, you know, you know. And then even Herodias is Herodias the daughter, or is Herodias exactly. the wife? And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets really, it gets really tricky. Um, but we both did have to mention that because there is a lot to that that feeds into Herod's own fear of change. Yes. And you, you know, your 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 main points were in the middle of whatever we're facing. Our call is to faithfulness. Yes. Our call really is to uh, faithfulness in the face of change because God might lead us into places that are that are tricky, that are ripe with change. I mean, you mentioned your own life and, and how that, that has, you know, your call to ministry has led you to different points of change. Mm-hmm. But where we face those changes, God himself does not change. And I loved especially how you put it um, when you started talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, you said um, you, you, you said uh, the words um, that uh, it's not about avoiding the fire. It's about who's with us in the fire, mm-hmm. um, about who, who's in the fire with us and, and talking about that. So I wonder when you're when someone comes to you um, as a you know pastor seeking your counsel mm-hmm. as they navigate change, what are the, some of the things that you talk to them about to remain faithful in the in the in the face of that sort of change that they you know the upheaval that they might be you know facing whether it's they're having to make a, a change away from a sinful pattern in their lives. Mm-hmm. And this might be very different responses, but the call is still to faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Or it's a call to greater obedience. Hey, they're 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 at the point where they're thinking, you know, maybe I need to, you know, take a step back from my job and, and go on the mission field for a while. Right. Or so how do you help navigate people through those changes with an eye towards faithfulness to God? First thing I do is try to listen. You know, what is their view, what is their view of God at the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, it, do they believe God is with them? Do they believe God is equipping them, leading them, and adapting to what they present with? Um, and if I can't figure it out, then I ask questions of yeah. you know, um, you know, 
do you do you know if God is with you? Like, do you understand that? Do you do you believe God loves you? Um, so, just trying to figure that out as um, they're going through this journey, and then adapting what I say to what I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I'm going to go in broad strokes of pastoral care yeah. approaches, yeah. Well, and 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 we both mentioned that there are so many we. You know, people are facing so many different types of change when you're mm-hmm. talking to an audience. You've got right. these big changes, monumental, life changing. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I have, you know, I'm, I'm caught into this addictive behavior, and I've got to make a change mm-hmm. because it's killing me. Or positively, I'm feeling this call to greater ministry and service, and I, that means I'm going to have to make a radical change to my my time commitments and my right. financial commitments. Mm-hmm. But then you, we also talked about the incremental changes, which I think sometimes are the tougher ones to help people navigate. Right. Because um, people are willing to, uh, when they make up their mind for a drastic change, yeah. they're completely ready for yeah. a drastic change. I mean, scared, but um, yeah. have made that decision. Whereas incremental changes come, and, you know, whether you like it or not. <laughs> well, I think, too, I think a lot of times when you have a um, monumental type, type change, like mm-hmm. one of those drastic changes, those folks know the resources that are kind of available to them, and mm-hmm. sometimes they're forced into a change. Like we know people that, and you and I both know people that that you know they they have been caught into a, a deadly cycle of drug or alcohol dependence, mm-hmm. and they hit the proverbial rock bottom. Mm-hmm. That leads them to that money. They 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 know right. they're forced to change, or they are literally going to die. Right, and then the resources kind of are presented to them. Pr- pretty obviously right mm-hmm. and then as pastors if, if we are involved in that process with them we're kind of just helping them navigate what are the best resources for them given their life circumstances and their whatever addictions or whatever they might be facing if there's some sort of grand you know life change from whether it's we're going to have get married we're going to have kids we're mm-hmm. you know those sorts of things the resources are kind of a little bit more obvious i mm-hmm. think right i mean we, we know how to direct those folks the incremental changes i think are harder to to, yes. to direct with people. Like we know people that have these sinful attitudes. Right. right. Superiority attitude, you know, mm-hmm. superiority complexes. Well, complex is kind of a And you can't quantify that too, so sometimes that complicates it. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for people to even see the need for that change. And one of the things I, I really wish I had more time to get into was some of those incremental changes. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how do you know you you need to make an incremental change to your attitude or right. you know, what are the signs of that? You know, if, and, and you talked about it last week in your sermon, but just you're not experiencing the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ on a regular, consistent basis. So mm-hmm. what is that? It, it, and it's not all these external factors. It's it, that because scripture teaches the external factors are are going to be there what are the internal factors of my faith where i'm not tapping into the peace of jesus christ i'm not Mm -hmm. tapping into the joy of jesus christ those are some of the kinds of things that indicate oh wait a minute maybe there's something from an attitude standpoint in me that needs to change Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it is an inevitability. Right. It is an inevitability. And it's a process, too, because there's you know the point of recognizing and then the journey to get there. Yeah, and the process can be – that's where they have to – the process is a constant facing down the fear of change. Because yes. at any one point in the process, mm-hmm. 
you could say, well, that was nice, but I'm going back. I'm going back to the. That was that was a good. That was a good. Yes. The monumental ones are Egypt harder. Egypt was so nice let's, back then. Let's go back. Well, I had flesh pots. Yes, with right. Garlic and leek. And and the, the monumental changes are a little bit harder to turn back. You know, if you quit your job and you go do something else, well, mm-hmm. that's a lot harder to go back. Mm-hmm. But the incremental changes, you can make those kinds of m- moments like where, in, in, in to, to your point, you know. That's why the Exodus journey wasn't 40 days. It was 40 years. Yes. Because they, God just was seeing, they've got to make a change from this slavery mentality yes. to this freed people of God in the promised land. And they weren't ready for it. Now, nope. Of course, God knew that they weren't going to be ready for it, but they mm-hmm. had to know that they weren't ready for it. And that that, because that journey shouldn't have taken 40 years. <laughs> Well, it does for everybody's life, doesn't it? But it, it? <laughs> does. I mean, it really does, right? And and so God takes them on that process. Well, and they had to face down that fear constantly, face yes. down that fear constantly. Faith uh, and fear are opposites, often. Yeah. yeah, which is, you know, why we're in this series, why we're yes. tackling this series. And uh, this week, we're tackling a a another great big fear, which is related to the fear of change, and that's the fear of failure. Pastor John will be back in the classic service. I'll be in Vine. But oftentimes, our fear of change is related to a fear of failure. What if I make this change and I fail at it? So we're going to be talking about that on Mother's Day, which I think is going to be interesting because <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of parent I just as a parent myself, I can tell you and I've talked about this in sermons, I definitely feared being a failure as a parent and I still even to this day make decisions thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I don't fail at this whole dad thing. So uh, it's going to be an interesting and I hope enlightening one for folks. And uh, so if anyone's missed any one of our sermons, especially this sermon this past week, head to fpclakeland.org, go to the worship uh, page and the sermon archive. You can either watch full services or listen to the messages themselves on your daily commute. Um, If you've missed any one of our episodes of Armchair Preaching, be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Click the subscribe button, like it, share it with your friends. It really does help out folks around our community. And uh, Rebecca is going to start laughing because she loves when I do that, rattle that off over and over again. Rebecca, thanks for hanging out once again. And uh, we'll see everybody again next time. Bye.